The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Carla. Welcome, James. Good morning. And from his prison in Melbourne is analyst Mickey Mordek. Hey, Mickey, how are you going? I'm going, going fine. Thanks, Gaurav. Thanks. Yeah, everything, uh, you're staying sane and you got oh, your, your puppy and your place, so everything's all right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, having the time of my life here. It's, you know, it's, um, it's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, how about, oh, yeah. how about you? How are you guys We've- going? I feel as though we've lost you to sarcasm. That's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> not a good sign this early in the proceedings. I know. You've got a long way to go yet. We've still got to go through all the other stages of, of depression. What you got? You got you've probably tumbled through wit and despair. Now you're at sarcasm. Goodness knows what comes next. Oh, geez. I'm glad I at least got through wit. I didn't even realize I got there. <laughs> well, I didn't I'd, notice. I'd say that'd be a very thin layer for you. <laughs> despair would have been a long one. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's going, it's going okay. I mean, it's uh, hopefully, hopefully, it's going to be over soon. Um, you know, I think everyone's just looking forward to hopefully getting back outside and you know going for a walk legally. That'd be nice. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, one of the few upsides of all this, Mickey, is that you've had plenty of time to work on stocks, and that's a good thing because reporting season has thrown up a lot of work. A lot of companies have already reported; are really in the thick of it now. So I thought today we'd just bring along a couple of um, stocks that we cover that we've looked at and that might be interesting or have reported some some news that's uh, worthy of comment. Um, who would like to go first? I think, um, you know what, I might go first this time. I might kick off proceedings with BHP because I just finished um, the work on it yesterday and it's pretty fresh in my head. I trust that's okay with, with you, gents? Excuse me. <laughs> okay, it gives me a bit of thinking time as <laughs> well. Well, I think you, you, you raised an important point, well, an interesting point, because, uh, geez, they, they come so thick and fast. You oh, know, you look goodness. at them, you know, a few days later, it's hard to remember which one was doing what. But um, there we go. It's, uh, it's it is all, tricky. It's all good fun. I, I find some of them, you do need to sit down and, and look at the, and hear or read the entire presentation. The ones with lots of um, moving parts and lots of complexity, they genuinely take a long time to get through. And others yeah. you can you can whip through very very. Oh, well, that's quickly. right. I mean, there, there's complicated businesses and results, and 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 less complicated ones. Yeah. But um, the trouble is that that sometimes the the sort of the calls and the presentations can can stack up a bit because you have to listen to them in yeah. time, and you end up. I've got three. I've listened to three calls at the moment, and I've still got to sort of go and do finish off the work and write the articles, and it's hard to remember who was saying what. Got a tough life here, don't we, guys? In our pajamas <laughs> at home. You got to think as well. That's the that's probably the that's hardest the hardest. Part, part. You know, you that's gotta, always the hardest part. <laughs> it's uh yeah, because you get all this information and you you, you know you've got to update things and update you know your, your 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 model for the company or whatever, and that that's probably the easiest stuff. But it's actually thinking about has anything changed or hmm. um and finding the time to actually. To, to think about it is 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 probably the hardest. Yeah, and the and the danger is and the danger is with so many numbers, it, it's actually quite easy to focus on that and actually miss the important stuff. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That is that is tricky. I also throw in there that 
because this is a time where lots of other people's opinions get thrown around as well, mm. it can be difficult um, not to get influenced by um, A, the share price, because that, that moves around a lot at this time, and then B, lots of other people who are talking about this, the same stock. Yeah. I found that um, often, like, um, for example, yesterday, Mineral Resources reported, and I looked at the result first and thought, oh, wow, what a cracking result. This is great. And looked at the share price. It was down 10%. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I've read a few broker reports this morning. I don't think they quite. I, I think still think this company is misunderstood. But but um, regardless, we won't go into Minres today. Um, let's move on to BHP. So the numbers here I actually don't think are all that important, and they're not surprising. And that's often the case with miners. Miners tend to report their production numbers well ahead of the financial results. And most people would have an idea of what commodity prices have done in that period. So it's actually very easy to come up with an idea of what earnings are going to be well ahead of the announcement. And so you often find with miners, unless there's a big change or a big surprise, the numbers themselves are really unnoteworthy. And that was the case here. Obviously, iron ore was the star and obviously uh, petroleum and coal were the big laggards in the portfolio. Copper pretty much stayed the same. And that's sort of what you'd expect of the last um, year or two from BHP. The big, the big surprise really was the strategic direction of the business, which is now shifting again. So they talked about divesting um, a couple of coal mines, and they've mentioned thermal coal divestments in the past. This was the first time they formally flagged metallurgical coal divestments. And what they're doing is they're trying to concentrate the coal portfolio into the highest um, highest quality metallurgical coal. And that means selling off anything that isn't um, absolutely top-notch. Um, it, it's known as hard hard coking coal. Uh, and it's the top premium coking coal product. It's an abundance in, in the Bowen Basin in Queensland, and BHP has more of it than anyone else in the world by some margin. So this actually works towards... Um, shoring up the quality of the coal portfolio. And I think that will go towards protecting it against some of the, the problems facing coal in the future. The, the other thing that was a bit of a surprise to me was that they also talked about acquisitions. They singled out petroleum, um, copper, and nickel as acquisition targets. The first time in about five years I've heard BHP management talk about acquisitions, which is, I don't, I'm not necessarily concerned about that because I think the board and the management are very keen to maintain the very good track record they've got of capital allocation and returns on capital over the last five years or so. And so I think we're going to be looking at small acquisitions rather than big purchases of big existing miners. And finally, the other point to, to, to mention is that um, they did talk about divesting Northwest Shelf, which is, um, as you, you people may be aware, um, the, the big LNG project offshore WA that Woodside operates and I thought that was really interesting. And on the call, they talked about how Northwest Shelf is turning into a tolling operation, and they're not really interested in holding infrastructure tolling assets. They want to be exposed to commodity prices. I think that's so, true. So how much how much do they own? They own a sixteen percent stake in that, and it's probably worth you know three or four billion US dollars. And Shed Woodside's on, got how much? Uh, Woods, it's about five parties. Each have about sixteen percent. All right, okay. Um, so it's equally owned, but Woodside operates it. Woodside also owns sixteen yeah. percent. Woodside at the moment is talking to Chevron about buying their sixteen percent stake, and it'd be interesting if they looked at look at BHP and also buy their stake as well. Um, I think it speaks quite um, quite well of Woodside's. Um, 
uh, investment case that these other miners are trying to get out of uh, tolling or infrastructure businesses exactly at the same time where Woodside is trying to increase their exposure to that part of the market. Um, <laughs> Woods, uh, BHP is famous for, for selling assets at the top of the cycle. Uh, sorry, at the bottom of the cycle and buying at the top. And I also wonder the fact that they're selling coal mines left, right and centre, what that says about where we are in the coal cycle. Hmm. Um, but it's a different type of game though, isn't it, uh, Woodside? Uh, I mean, um, the Northwest. Yeah, you're right. I, I think, I, I was thinking that as well. I, I think it is a legitimate um, a legitimate divestment. You know, if you're a miner and your promise to shareholders is that we'll be exposed to commodity prices and, and you're sitting with a substantial stake in a, in a piece of infrastructure or tolling operation, I think it makes sense to, to sell that off. So, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, so that. I guess it's just the timing of that. But, um, yeah, it's a question of whether there's an efficient market, whether BHP can read it better than other people, I suppose. The amount of cash flow coming out of this thing is amazing. The returns on capital are exceptional. The margins are great. I, I think, I still think investors do not appreciate that this is no longer just a a good mining business. I think this is a good business. And um, I, I, you know, we, we do deal with cyclicality in this area, but there's other good businesses that are also cyclical. And I think this now falls into that bucket. Um, I'm quite happy to hold it for now, but I've seen a few people talk, getting quite bullish about BHP. This is not the time to get bullish about it. Iron ore prices look scarily high to me. I think they will, in the next 12 months, we'll, we'll start to see more supply come online and more reasonable prices being um, being offered. Uh, in my view, if we can get to around um, 30 bucks on BHP, I can think it's then starts to make sense to start taking nibbles. And um, a little bit higher from here, I think it makes sense to start selling. Um, sort of in the, up to about $45, it probably makes sense to start selling a little bit. So we're in a comfy hold position, but um, I will update... Um, what we're doing in the portfolios and the recommendations as the price dictates. Any questions on BHP, gentlemen? I know your eyes are probably glazing over uh, a mining stock, which none of you have ever owned, have no interest in owning. Oh, no, it's not you that. Said it. yeah. <laughs> I think, I genuinely think you're missing out. I think, I think value investors in particular have been guilty of not doing the work on mining stocks. I've lost count of the number of good value. It's hard to have managers. an edge, though. That's the, that's the thing. Now, look, I, I think that you've done a great job with resources over the years and, and looking at the cycles and all that. So, you know, hats off. But it, it's very hard to, to you know, look, you, you've got to really focus on that. You can't just sort of have a quick look at BHP and think, all oh, right, I've got it. You know, you, I mean, look, there's, there's one, one thing sort of buying and holding these stocks, taking a long-term view and all that sort of thing. Um, lowest cost producers, I think, that have their attractions, you know, because they come through most conditions best, probably undervalued very long term. Um, but, you know, really to try to sort of judge the comings and goings is, I think, very hard unless you're really, really paying attention. Yeah, I think the trick is really to focus on the most cyclical businesses and you've got to watch where we are in the cycle. It's amazing how but much. how can you do that if you're not? You, do you know what I mean? You, you can't just sort of judge the cycle, you know, from a, well, maybe the best place to do it is from a distance. But, mm. but um, yes, you know, I there's, think a, lot, there's exactly a lot of right people there. trying to do that, you know. I think yeah. as well, like, I, I, you know, if, if there was a low-cost mine and, and all it did was mine and it just distributed 100% of the profit, you know, and that's all it did, then, um, 
you know, that would potentially be interested in something like that. Um, it's it's more when they kind of they get the cash back and then they go, well, what do we do with it? And then you know, how are they allocating that money into new ideas? And like, it's obviously it's a finite resource, so eventually earnings dry up and you've got to keep finding new ways to to grow earnings. So I just you know, there's other businesses where you know you've got kind of tailwinds that help grow earnings a lot over time, and with these businesses, earnings are kind of always facing that that uphill battle where you're just depleting a natural resource, I guess. So, um, yeah. you know, that, that, I mean, that's just what, like a broad overview, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't ever discount the sector entirely. Like I think, you know, for example, like Aluka and that, that, um, Mac royalty sounds like an interesting play, but, um, yeah. So that's kind of how I, how, how I would look at it. I think price is really important when you're investing in this sector. Uh, there are some sectors where you can afford to, pay a little bit more or you can afford to be a bit greedy um, and you can be a bit blasé about prices in in different sectors that's not the case here I think you really have to be price focused um, a lot to do well in this sector um, and that's why for the most time I've said this in a few reviews that for 80% of the time we can probably safely do nothing with our resources holdings if you don't own them you don't need to own them if you own them you can hold them it's that 20% of the time that, that dictate action that's where your your profits are really made, and that's when you got to jump into action. And we're not in that twenty percent time yet. Um, it'll come, but we're not there yet. So for for now, um, you know, BHP's a hold. Very quickly on on Woodside, um, they are gearing up for acquisitions. There is no doubt in my mind that uh, acquisitions are coming. If you're holding that, there's likely to be a capital raise at some point. So just keep that in mind with your portfolio weightings. Um, they've uh, they're going to buy, in my view, they're likely to buy Chevron's stake in Northwest Shelf. They preempted um, a um, a bid on another oil asset in Senegal, which is actually quite a good one. Um, so there's a there's a little bit of activity going on. They're one of the few oil businesses in the world that has the balance sheet to buy when the market is down. So it's good to see that they're doing that. Well, except you, you said rating. they were going to have to raise capital. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes an acquisition is, is a bit of an excuse to raise capital and get an asset that's making some cash because you were a bit constrained beforehand. That yeah, no, that I think that's really true. <laughs> yeah. But um, these acquisitions make a lot of sense given Woodside's strategy. Um, they've been waiting for uh, to try and lift their equity stake in the Northwest Shelf. I think it makes a lot of sense to do so, and it makes sense to do so now when – LNG prices and oil prices are quite low, um, and, and the other um, the other acquisition in Senegal, they're buying that at sort of less than half the price that they themselves um, bought into the asset a few years ago. So again, it, it does make sense. They can probably sell that on at a later stage, um, and there are other strategic regions. There's a Russian company bidding on that asset. They want to keep the Russians out, um, otherwise they face potential US sanctions. So there are other reasons why it makes sense for them to hold it. But I take your point, James. It's a really important <laughs> idea. I mean, if they, if they did nothing, would they need to raise capital? No. No, so that's probably dis discounts that theory. So. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's a good lookout. I, I think that's really important. We should, um, yeah, we should be on, they're very suspicious when companies use bad news as an excuse to, or sorry, acquisitions as an, as an excuse to, to raise capital. But anyway, um, that's enough for me. Uh, Mickey, um, what do you have for us? Well, uh, yeah, so I better touch on Australian Ethical, uh, given that it's um, it's had a pretty steep decline since we first upgraded it. So that was about a month ago, and I think it's fallen by by about a third um, since then. We did put out an alert um, 
about the IWF sale. So stock's gone from maybe 80 times earnings to about 50 times. So I guess that's the risk that we took when we first upgraded it. Um, the driver, I guess, of that is is was the announcement from IWF that it would um, be divesting of most of its Australian ethical stake. How much uh, does that say? Was it 20, 20%? No. No, it wasn't quite 20%. I think it was uh, six, somewhere between 16 and 17%. And um, mm-hmm. so they're retaining about 4.9%. Oh, they're the retaining. And what was their reason for doing that? Did they give a reason? Yeah, they did. So they said, uh, first of all, well, obviously, you know, IWF's balance sheet, um, it's got a little bit of debt. So they're looking to reduce the debt there. Um so that was kind of their, their stated reason. Um, Sorry, Nikki, was, was it IWF or was it one of their fund managers who owned it as an investment stake? Yeah, it was one. Sorry, it was one of the the subsidiaries. Um, but it's a um, IWF owned subsidiary. I forget the um, name off the top of my head. No, but it was owned by IWF rather than by one of their funds. No, it wasn't owned by one of the IWF funds. It's owned by oh, I see. IWF. Okay, yeah. I see. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. so it can actually, those funds can be used to retire debt, I guess is the point. Yeah, that's right. And okay. and so that's that's the, the idea here is that, you know, IWF's looking to reduce debt. Um, I think they also need to look at the conflicts of interest across that business as well. Uh, and potentially having quite a large stake in a fund manager could be perceived as a conflict of interest. Can right. I be a bit cheeky and right. suggest that it's kind of, it'll be also be a conflict of interest for a lousy business like IWF to own an ethical fund manager? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the this is the other interesting part about it is after the whole Royal Commission, you know, kerfuffle um, uh, with um, uh, Kelleher. Um, so AF, uh, Australian Ethical actually divested very publicly of of all IWF stakes in all its funds, even oh, while it was a substantial shareholder. I see. So I wonder if that's just you know payback. Th- that has been a chief change in the interim. So mm. you know you know we can't assume that it's payback, but I mean it, you know I'm sure it didn't help. Well, I think a lot of water's gone under the bridge since then. I mean we got new management and the old management yeah. was kind of vindicated um, to a degree yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, but it's just, a, it's just. Um, I guess this was probably on the cards for a while, and then you know you've got the run up in price, and they're probably going, well, hey, let's just, let's just um, help help pay off our debt a little bit. I think so. Uh, well, that shouldn't said- reflect on Australian ethical should because um, you know if, if, these are just um, IWF reasons rather than anything to do with Australian ethical. But I yeah. mean, of course, there's there's the there's the shock to the market. I mean, is it a fairly thinly traded stock? Well, so so there's not yeah so there's not a lot of stock um, available. It's not a lot of liquidity, and I think the issue was that they they did the sale. You've got to sell it if you if you're selling a big stake. Um, in an illiquid stock like this, you've got to sell it at a big discount, mm. and and so they sold it. The, the price is at six thirty. Um, I think the book build started at five twenty five. So basically, is if you're an institution and you've got this stock, you can instantly sell it at six thirty, make a profit. Um, and I think you know you've got these institutions that have you know bought bought up that parcel, and maybe they weren't looking to be long term holders. Um, so what's so, the price? So is the price now level with where IWF sold it, or is it gone from? No, it's down? it's it's below there now. So, um, you know, so I can't I can't say you know obviously you know we we don't know hundred percent what's caused the decline. Uh, it could be it could be that it could be just that the market's no longer willing to pay as high a multiple. Um, 
So yeah, it's but I don't. I, to pay my eye multiples and everything else. <laughs> so, well, I think the problem we is we can discount that. I think but, the problem uh, is but not for this it. business. Yeah, yeah. it's given it, given everyone a bit of a fright, I suppose, and and so it's made think, people think there's always the fear that you don't know something that IWF might know mm. and that sort of thing. So, you know, I guess that plays into it in the short term. But but I mean, as you said in your initial upgrade, I mean, this is very much you know a long term uh you know uh, investment and um you know wh- when you pay that sort of price you you are at the mercy of the market to some degree at least in the short term yeah well i think i think that's the thing and um you know so i mean obviously it's a market leader and it's growing pretty fast into the space as we outlined in that article so you know there's lots of lots of space for this to grow and there's strong balance sheet it's profitable so it's hard to conceive of you know, this going to zero, for example, um, that would be extremely hard to imagine. <laughs> um, so, um, so which means it's just a case of kind of, you know, hopefully averaging down. And I guess, um, you know, if you, if, and, and we did mention this, I guess, in the first article, but the, the recommendations guide can be a little bit blunt, but, you know, if you can, if you haven't potentially, you know, taken your full um, stake, then this is actually just a better opportunity, hopefully to, um be getting getting but getting a better average price on the on the stock famous last um, words but you, you <laughs> say that there doesn't appear to be anything fundamentally wrong with the business yeah I, I, I don't i don't believe so and i think um you know obviously keep in mind the recommended weightings um you know don't uh don't don't um yeah keep in mind the recommended weightings mickey does does um aef lose any distribution muscle from losing iwf as a shareholder uh, not that I can see. Um, I don't, obviously I don't know. Um, I'm not privy to the, to the relationship there. Um, but post, post the Royal Commission, you're not allowed to do too much of okay. favouring. Well, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> I so. Yeah, I think it's yeah. clean these days. And I think also just like, you know, the Australian Ethicals Fund stand up on their own, right? You know, they perform pretty well. Mm. Um, they're really highly regarded. They've won lots of awards. So if you're an advisor, um, you know, I don't think they rely on mm. special relationships. I think that the funds kind of sell themselves. So, um, and, and plus they're getting a lot of flows just direct, just people just going, looking at the website, um, switching their super themselves. So they're not super reliant on the advisor channel. Now, speaking uh, anyway, of um, so. Super Mickey, now you and I both own AEF and um, we both like the super part of this business. Can you just explain that quickly, um, how that relates to the investment case? Why, what makes it so attractive? Yeah, so I guess this is what kind of separates it a little bit from just your average fund manager is that steady contribution aspect to the superannuation. Um, so if you take, and, 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 and also, so Australian Ethicals average member is quite young so if you take it say a 35 year old with a 50k balance and they're putting in seven or eight thousand dollars a year well then their natural kind of growth rate is 15 percent per year so they're growing their balance at that sort of rate um which is which is huge uh and then obviously you've got um fund growth from just natural market appreciation Hmm. and uh the customers are super sticky i mean most people don't change their superannuation that often most people don't even know where the superannuation is. So I guess when you make the effort to actually change it, um, you know, you tend to stick around unless something really, you know, odd happens or um, unusual happens. So um, so you've got this nice tailwind uh, and then, um, yeah, so they're growing, uh, growing members by, you know, increasing market share and winning yeah. across accounts from 
other super funds. Having young, a, a large cohort of young super members is really valuable and it doesn't necessarily pop up in today's um, financials. But what you have, as Mickey says, is you've got young people with, um, with low churn rates sticking to you for a long time. And they're also, their earnings are growing over time. So a 35-year-old will earn more as they turn into a 45 and 50-year-old. And all those, so, so there's so much growth just, just automatically baked into um, uh, AEF's fund. You got the um, super guarantee, then you got a higher earnings, and you got low churn. It's it ends up being a really attractive um, business if you can get younger people, and and that's something that AF has managed to attract quite successfully. I, I think that's that's part of the reason why a high PE actually makes sense for a business like this. It's because you get a lot of future growth um, just baked in without having to do anything, and it's not really turning up in numbers today. So yeah, um, for sure. That ADPR, yeah. I don't think that's crazy yeah well hopefully not um <laughs> we definitely hope not um but i mean it is it is a lofty multiple so you know this is the risk in and um yeah so well i think i think yeah. i sold um my shares in magellan uh when they were on a per of about 80 and uh and that was when the, they were a few dollars and they've gone up more than 10 times since so uh we should yeah. add that that jc think... bought bought this when it was a uh, below net cash, right? I, I find that amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, I think I've paid thirty-seven cents for my cheapest, <laughs> my cheapest Magellan shares. Wow. But uh, but the, uh, the yeah, so it would have been I, a twenty. I, I held barely any beyond six dollars, um, and then sold them all. At oh, you dumb, the, dummy! But, you you made a, a yeah, no, bagger. but 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 look, look, I sold half after they doubled because mm. I took I took a big weight, and this is in the GFC, and and they were below net cash, and that's why I bought them. So once mm. they doubled, geez, I was. I was taking some some money out, but but so look, that's all, all. But the point of the matter is that the PE in a in a rapidly growing fund manager really doesn't tell you a great deal. You know, yeah. um, you're up below base, and you can go a long way, and you can go a long way without having to reinvest capital. Hmm. And uh, so, look, you, you know, in the short term, you're um, at the whim of the market. Um, but you know, it's it's. Um, you know, it's it's. I think that the important thing to look at here is is whether they're continuing to to do what we're hoping for them to do, and um, be patient. Um, did you have another one as well, Mickey? Uh, well, I guess the, yeah. So the other result um, that uh, that we wrote up recently was class, um, which which uh, which did well uh, following the result. Um, so yeah, so it looks like now they've managed to kind of pivot that business um, through a couple of acquisitions in the document and compliance space, um, which gives them a strong foothold in that space. So just to go back, sorry, classes the um, software company providing uh, super uh, self-managed super fund uh, administration software, um, and uh, and for a long time people have um, assumed that you know there's not much growth runway, which is a correct assumption, uh, and, uh, and other attempts to basically grow the business have not really succeeded. Um, so they've launched a new class trust product. Well, they're launching that in October. Um, it looks like that's performing ahead of expectations. So management's flagged that it'll be released earlier, um, which will hopefully help grow revenues uh, into next year and the year, year after. Um, and then they've made a few acquisitions, as I said, in that document and compliance space, which look um, to be quite sensible and and uh, you know potentially open the door to um, more more earnings per share growth over the coming 
coming years. So, um, yeah, I think it's just gone from people assuming obviously no growth and obviously the the pandemic panic as well. So you got it at a very cheap price. And then um, now I think it's just more at an average kind of price and we can just hold it and um, wait to see how that unfolds. So. How are you thinking about this, Mickey? Are you, are you want, is this a business you would hold um, if it's fairly priced? And is this one you intend to hold for a long time? Yeah, well, I think I think we go into every investment hoping to hold it for a long time. Um, you know, I wouldn't say this is of the uber quality software business, you know, say like a Zero or even maybe an Altium or something like that. But I think they've got a very dominant share in that super space and, you know, extremely high retention rates, over 99%, which shows a, you... There's a very good competitor there. What's, it's called BGL. BGL. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, it's um, I think there's it, it's just going to be a two-player market, basically. Mm. Um, and a couple of the acquisitions um, classes made, I think, position it pretty well as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that market. So, yeah, I think it's it's got a good position, sorry, probably maybe not a dominant position, but a, a strong position in that market. Um, and then there's potential for growth, um, you know, elsewhere. So I think, um, you know, there's always time for this business to evolve. And, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be the same business in three to five years. So I think we just want to um, we want to give it some time to to run and um, see see if management can deliver. I've I've got to chime in on this idea that you enter an investment hoping you'll hold it for for the long term. Um, I think you've got to value it like that, assuming that you that, that you will or that you might. But I'd far rather it doubled and I sold after a year and a day. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it does. It makes you. It makes you question. You've got to think um, of it like that. Yeah. You've got to value it like that. I grant you. But. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, you got to be prepared for that as well. Yeah, I mean, well, it's still a, it's still a pretty small business, um, and uh, and there's a, it looks like there's a bit of earnings growth coming. It's not, you know, ridiculously priced. It's on thirty times earnings. I mean, it's not ultra cheap anymore, but it's not um, crazy if it can deliver. Thirty's on. fine. Thirty's the new yeah. twenty. <laughs> it is the new twenty. Mm. For a software it's 80, stock, it's thirty. The new thirty. <laughs> 80 is the new 30 and 20 is downright cheap 20 is the new 10 if you find something on 20 times earnings it's a, it's a bargain there's something wrong with it there's <laughs> something wrong with it. there's not much uh, yeah. JC well um, so uh, so I've got Altium to talk about mm-hmm. um, which uh, which produced an interesting result because uh, look, I mean, it it had already it had pre pre announced it, so really the, it was all around the um, the edges was were, were the interest. Um, you know, it, it had already told us it was going to miss its revenue target of two hundred million US, um, and it came in. Uh, well, in, in, it had told us that it was going to make one hundred eighty nine, um, which is what it did. Um, but uh, but it said some very um, some very good things about. Uh, you know how well its Altium three six five product is is uh, progressing, hmm. which was um, and that's it. That's the cloud product, right? Yeah. So this is the cloud pr- platform that was originally released for free um, last, I think, November or December, and then the full full version of the product was only released in May. So it's very early days, um, but this is absolutely crucial to the company's strategy. Um, of of creating a platform, so they, they, their product is is software that helps you design printed circuit boards. Um, but they, uh, at the moment, a printed circuit board gets designed. Um, you know, you have someone designing the printed circuit board. You have someone designing the mechanical object 
say a Fitbit, the example they always give is a Fitbit, hmm. um, uh, which has to, so the, the printed circuit board is quite small and it has to be, it has to fit a very particular sort of um, compartment within the, the, the mechanical shape of the object. And so the mechanical design is done separately. The parts are ordered separately, you know, and um, you may find that a part's different and you can't use that part because it doesn't fit with the mechanical um, and then when the manufacturing comes, maybe the, do you, do you, so, that, so it's all done in, in stages and their idea yeah. is to get everyone onto a platform so that the mechanical people can talk to the software. Yeah. That um, makes sense, right? That makes uh, a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm. And that's the whole investment case really. Mm. Um, because they, they are getting to such a dominant position, um, in the industry. Um, and they're ideally placed to, um, uh, to create this platform um, and management uh, has been very successful in the past at, um, at building the business. And so I think they're in a very good position to, to do that. And, you know, as long as they're continuing to take wickets, as Aaron Makazumi <laughs> says, uh, he li likes the cricket analogy, as long as they're continuing to take wickets by, uh, you know, progressing that strategy, um, the the runs the revenue they're making is 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 not so important now um, jc we, we need a we need an honest answer here it's a very important question <laughs> are you investing in altium purely because you found another cricket nut <laughs> in, in its ear uh no i'm not um <laughs> but i do like it i like particularly that they uh, well i like cricket and i like um i like that he's prepared to go off mm. on a bit of a tangent to try to explain things um a lot of management's uh, a bit guarded you know it's good yeah. when you feel when people are prepared to you know just sort of i suppose shoot from the hip a bit but 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 just um because you you know it makes them sound as if they're not not hiding things other other managers sometimes sound as if they're you know a bit more evasive but um so he's just trying to explain the way they're thinking about things and i love the fact that they're prepared to to set um you know aggressive targets yeah, for the future yeah. for the for, for for what i would call the medium term but what a lot mm. of people call the long term the next five years of course they've got targets to um, reach 500 of revenue and 100,000 subscribers, and they've hit um, all. They've hit those in the past. They're they're medium. Well, they've hit them in the past, but uh, now yeah. they're missing them. And yeah. and that's uh, but you see that's the other point. I, I love that they're prepared to set aggressive mm. targets, but I love even more the fact that they're prepared to sort of tear them up and and not and not worry too much about it, mm. because you know the last thing you want is management. You know when when they're you know yes. hit from by uh, you know events that they couldn't have expected. Um, you don't want them managing the business to, towards certain yep. targets. I mean, they possibly could have made their revenue target this year mm. um, if they hadn't been discounting to meet the subscriber target. And um, you know, their their um, you know their their eye is on the very long term. They set goals um, along the way. But look, if the if the long term winning the test match. Uh, is the important thing, and they're prepared to, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, as as uh, as Mokazimi said, pitch it up a little bit, and risk going for some runs mm. in order to take the wickets. <laughs> I guess as well, having like someone like, um, is it a room, a room Mokazimi? Yeah, Mokazimi. Um, yeah. He's got uh, he's got he's got that pedigree, I guess, and he's come from um, nowhere as well, and he's got you know plenty of. Um, on the line himself personally, and so I guess when they're, they're giving you these long dated targets, you kind of um, you're probably more willing to uh, you know go with it, and 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 probably not um, 
you know, second guess it as maybe like hyping it or something like that. Yeah, that's right. He landed in this country. I, I look, it's worth looking up. Uh, it's an impressive some, story. Yeah, yeah some, it's, it's worth um, listening, trying to find a sort of biography of him um, online. Uh, because he, he landed in the country not being able to speak the language and, uh, you know, as a refugee and, and went to uni and couldn't couldn't understand the um, wow. the lecturers. <laughs> maybe, maybe that helped him. And uh, Well, maybe, yeah. But he... But he um, Look, he's 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 come come from there as an engineer, and uh, look, he's got a very impressive track record. Look, if anyone's going to be able to to mm. do this, um, I think. Uh, look, I don't like backing management too much, paying too much for management. But I think what one's paying for here is the idea. But you know, it's it, it's 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 big things that they're trying to do. So you you want people that you that mm. give you confidence. Mm. Now, now, finally, JC on Altium, um, one of the things you pointed out to me was just how how forcefully they're crushing their competitors they've come from a small um third uh, a sort of a third tier um competitor in this industry to now dominating it and now setting up potentially setting up a platform to entrench that dominance where are other competitors here why are they particularly weak or is there something about altium um that makes them look that way well, they they focus on on other areas. I think is is the oh, um, is okay. the real answer. So hmm. so their main so the, the, this is a sort of um, uh, a sideshow for some of them. They they um, you know they're more focused on on actually designing chips okay. um, as opposed to PCBs, hmm. um, and they're also um, focused on um, larger customers. Whereas hmm. I think what West Altium still on a bit of a march on them is that it's traditionally been big in the the sort of smaller user maker sort of market mm. um so where engineers sort of start out as students and and whatnot and so you've got this huge body of people that are familiar with with its product so as it's been able to improve the product and catch up with these bigger players mm. um it's had a natural body of people who are familiar with the product and like it and it's sort of and and that's really given it the opportunity to sort of catch up with the bigger players i think i see yeah okay um you got one more for us as well oh i was just going to talk about seek um quickly um which is so the interesting thing about seek i suppose what struck me about the result and the market reaction to it anyway was that um you know when is guidance uh not guidance sort of thing because they so that seek are, are quite reasonably saying they're not providing any guidance but because they want to try to help people out a, a little bit, you know, they, what they've done is they've, um, and this is what they've been doing since April or whenever, they've been providing what they call scenarios. So they pr- provided a scenario for for the 2020 year, um, and now they've provided one for the 2021 year saying, look, mm-hmm. if volumes do this, um, you know, and a few other things happen, then this is what we expect um, our EBITDA, EBITDA may, may end up as. Um but look, it's just a scenario, you see. So they, so in their result, they painted a scenario for 2021, which was pretty negative, negative, more negative than uh, a lot of brokers were expecting. You know, it's mm. talking about um, volumes, particularly in ANZ um, and Asia, um, continuing to be quite low for the 2021 year, recovering a bit, but but staying below 2020 mm-hmm. uh, peaks, um, and so. You know, the market sort of interpreted that as being them saying that this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's interesting that the market doesn't feel that it wants to make those, uh, make its own assessment of what's likely mm. to happen. Um, mm. 
and uh, so Sikhs, it, it's just a curious sort of situation. And, um, you know, it, I suppose it shows you provide any kind of outlook at all, the market's going to hang its hat on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I guess that's what's happened. But but they probably wanted that because, look, um, they've set the bar fairly low, I think. Um, there's nothing in it for them to set an aggressive scenario, although I suppose that's sort of what Altium's doing. But anyway, never mind that. <laughs> um, and... Uh, um, Altium, by the way, did push out its its five hundred million revenue scenario by didn't seek out. Didn't they set a an ambitious long term? Yeah, they did. Uh, they've 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 scrapped that. Well, actually, this okay. I took a little bit of an issue with this actually because they said um, they said they were taking the timeline off that. So they got the five billion um, revenue target. Yeah. Um, for uh, um, which they had been aiming for twenty twenty five. Um, the aspirational revenue target. So good. Again, that's great of management to set targets. Um, and they were sort of, but they were only sort of half willing to tear it up. Um, rather, than, I mean, Altium said there's a sort of talked about a, a, a six to 12 months delay on their revenue target. Hmm. Um, Seek just took the timeline off it completely, which to me, they may as well just remove the, um, the you know, if you don't put a timeline on a, on a revenue target, I mean, things grow. You certainly hope Seek's going to grow over the years, given the price you're paying for it. Hmm. So, you know, to take... Kind of can't be wrong, I guess, yeah. if you don't put a timeline on it. Well, that's right. But it, but, it, but the, the difference between five years and 10 years is is, is massive, <laughs> you hmm. know, for, for revenues to, um, to triple. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was a little bit evasive. I think I'd rather have seen them just literally... Shel- they don't have to scrap it, but they can say, look, we're just shelving that for the time being. And that could have... And then just move on. But uh, which is sort of perhaps what they did do, but but they just weren't very explicit about it. Um, which is, you know, I'm not used to criticizing Seek's management. I think they're excellent. So uh, um, they're just, you know, just grated slightly compared to what I'm used to. Um, but probably just a minor sort of, I'm probably taking it too seriously, really. Now, um, now, final question for Seek, um, JC. How are you, are you concerned about? the cyclicality here? I mean, clearly um, job ads in Australia are falling. Australia's the largest um, contributor to profit. Um, an ongoing no. recession in Australia, does that worry you much? No. I mean, uh, you know, I'm like you, Gaurav, I love a cycle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's different though in, from resources companies because it, it can, I mean, with, with a high growth um, quality business like Seek, um, the the cycle really just plays a benefit because it just plays into all the people who look at the short term, and uh, I think if you can stay focused on the long term, it's the uh, it's the weak cycle that you know uh, moments of of weak cyclicality that give you the opportunity to buy. It. I'm mm. not saying we're getting that now. We're still above nineteen dollars, and and we just uh, we nudged down the buy price to sixteen. So, but um, but. You know, look, I think that the trajectory of this business long term is very much upwards and the cyclicality is, is, uh, is you know, a, a sort of wobble along the way on that and uh, gives you gives you opportunities potentially. Um, so, no, I mean, look, my, my uh, I, I'm trying to look five, five or more years ahead, really. And, um, uh, you know, the market's maybe looking at two and that's why, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's mm. the opportunity. So, um, nice. It's all good. Now, um, before we finish off, um, what are we quickly working on for the rest of the weeks? If, if people can expect um, 
What can people expect? Jeez, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I guess I've got lunch at the moment. So. <laughs> yeah, look, I've, 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 I've got those. Yeah, lunch. <laughs> so I've got um, A2 milk, um, which I've had a look at the result. Um, it was it was pretty good, but there is a little bit of competition coming through from China and Chinese brands, and it looks like they're um, they're prol- proliferating inside China. So. Uh, how that affects um, milk powder, um, babes, sorry, infant formula is going to be really interesting. Infant formula is a huge part of their um, profit, even though it's only, um, I think, like it's a quarter of their sales or something. So it's it's a really important segment, and what happens there is is going to determine largely what happens to profit. So that's something to watch. South Thirty Two um, just reported today. I'm going to be looking at that and have something up for South Thirty Two as well. Uh, yeah. So I've just got. Um email reported well actually it, for some reason all the companies reported yesterday so I had email, yeah everything, everything reported. Opticon. Um, <laughs> so yeah they kind of all just jumped on the one day yeah. um so yeah going through that result it was obviously a pretty mixed bag a really messy result so we'll have a have an update um for members shortly mm-hmm. um a, as well as with equity trustees and, and we'll have a little alert out on opticom um so, but obviously with Opticom, it's all about the um, takeover, really. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of keeping keeping me busy for today. Nice one, JC. Yeah. Well, I was uh, I was already getting a bit behind, and uh, <laughs> then then everything's landed yesterday uh, and today, and um, uh, so I suppose my initial thoughts are on uh, car sales, uh, which I hope to get up um, today. Hmm. And then Webjet, which is down a bit, although I'm slightly surprised by that. I mean, they they um they pushed out their banking covenants by a quarter, hmm. um which is which is good news. <laughs> I mean, it says something about the situation we're in that that's the the key piece of news. <laughs> and um, uh, Ordinates, um, I'm, I'm I haven't really had a chance to look at that yet, but uh, um, look, the market doesn't seem to be very pleased with it. But um, look, the result was pre-announced, so um, yeah. You know, my feeling is that the, or the understanding or something I've read is that uh, the market's fixating on a, um, what they've said about sort of revenue over the last couple of well, months. I f- um, feel like that's just a theme at the moment with all yeah. these results is just people are getting so hung up on this year's number. It's yeah. like you're forgetting about, you know, yeah. the longer term. Yeah, with with Ordinate, the amount of revenue they're making um, this year, I mean, or the, this month or next month, um, is is so has so little to do with it, anything. Um, so um, yeah, look, I, I, anyway, but I, I but I say all that, and I haven't even looked at the results. So we'll we'll take a look at that, and hopefully, yeah, that's that's likely to be um, early next week. I think we'll need, we'll, we'll see, but um, but look, it was pre-announced, so there's not much. Um, uh, uh, not much in it, and then gosh, there's a whole heap. There's of a whole heap. ASC, yeah, I know. ASX, I think just we're only on Thursday. There'll be more tomorrow. West farmers and yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a backlog developing. All right, let's roll up our pajama sleeves and uh, get cracking. Cheers, <laughs> 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 Thanks for joining us from Melbourne. Thanks, thanks, Gaurav. Uh, JC, thanks for your time. Cheers, and for everyone else, thank you for listening.